want to say this morning in beginning this sermon that when the Bible speaks about the heart, it's not talking about a physical organ. When David says in the 51st Psalm that we're going to be looking at today, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. And when he says create a clean heart in me, O God, and put a right spirit within me, He's talking about the place of a heart, not the heart itself as a physical organ, but the place that is our bodies, it's our brains, it's our psyche, it's where our emotions are, are, are located, it's, um, it's the, in essence the power of the emotions, or as we might say, of our passions. In some respects, emotions and, pa- and passions are even more powerful than our physical bodies. Father Anthony uh, DeMello once said something that I think is very wise. He said, people mistakenly assume that thinking is done by their head. It is actually done by their heart. The heart dictates the conclusion, then commands the head to provide the reasoning that will defend it. Think about that. You know, we think that we're reasonable people, don't we? We think that we have the ability to, uh, to, to reason. And, and yet we always weigh the pros and cons and make rational decisions. Uh, and if you believe that, good luck. We don't always make rational decisions. We don't always weigh the pros and cons. We, we don't always get the best results through thinking alone. If that were true, then none of us would really snap at another or demean another or sabotage a relationship. If we were thinking about this rationally without emotions involved, and yet that's usually not the way we process. Our passions are very powerful. That's why we do so many illogical, even stupid things. And today, the backdrop of this text that we're going to be reading, and if you want to get your Bibles out, we're going to be turning to the 51st chapter of Psalms. And this beautiful Psalm of David, a favorite of mine and many of us, is a Psalm that really does get at an action that David took, in fact, several actions that were illogical. Now, we all know the story of David, I trust. I'm going to uh, review it or summarize it with you, but it serves as the backdrop to what this psalm is really about. First of all, we know that David gets involved with a woman who is married, someone else's wife. Her name, of course, is Bathsheba. And David looks down from his palace perch and he sees her bathing on uh, her rooftop and he wants to have her as his own. He he disregards the fact that she's married to one of his loyal soldiers, Uriah. And and after he has this affair, or in essence a rape, she becomes pregnant. And so to try to cover that up, he has Uriah sent home on furlough and yet Uriah being loyal will, will not sleep with his wife. And and so uh, the next step that David takes is one that's nearly unspeakable. He has this plan that 
that uh, the army will go and face the enemy and then uh, they will call the army to retreat. Everyone except Uriah knew the plan and there Uriah was standing exposed for the enemy to kill him. So in essence it was a plan of murder. And then David marries Bathsheba and they have a child that's born and the child dies. And later on they have Solomon of course but that's a story for a future sermon. What we realize is that this series of really unthinkable things by this king who could have had any woman in the kingdom. There were many beautiful single women in the kingdom. He had concubines, which was acceptable in that day for the king. And yet he wants the wife of another. And so Nathan, the prophet, comes to David and he plays to David's shepherd instincts. You remember the story how Nathan tells of this shepherd who has all the sheep he could possibly want. And yet there was one shepherd who had this one sheep that he loved so very dearly. And the shepherd with all of the sheep takes that sheep for his own. David's infuriated and he said, I want you to bring this shepherd to me. You bring this man to me. And Nathan at that point looks at David and said, You are the man. And of course David, who could have done anything he wanted to to the prophet Nathan, hears that call and repents. And in essence what we have in the 51st Psalm is David's contrite heart as he repents before the Lord. Now, you turn to the 51st chapter of Psalms. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read it, so if you want to watch the screens, we're going to put the Scripture on the screens today, for I'm going to read this Scripture from the Message Version of the Bible. Generous in love, God give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt. Soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. You're the one I violated. And you've seen it all. Seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time. That's lazy. I'll talk about that in a moment. In the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then. Conceive a new true life. Soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Scrub me and I'll have a snow white life. Tune me in the foot tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Friends, what David realized is what 
from time to time we must realize. David realized he needed a new heart. He needed a new passion. He'd gotten lazy in his relationship with God. Now, as we've been addressing the theme fixer-uppers, we can have hearts that are filled with anger and jealousy and envy and resentment and greed and lust and a host of other negative passions. Our hearts can become lazy or slothful regarding our love for God and God's ways. And all of these spiritual joy killers take a toll on us, don't they? We no longer feel the joy of our salvation. All we feel instead is a deep-seated emptiness. There's something missing. The peace is gone. And when we get to that point, we best turn as David did to God and admit that we have become lazy with our relationship, that we have become apathetic in, in our relationship with God. And in turning to God, we turn to the one that we know can give us the forgiveness that we need and can help us to let go of our hurt and our sinful longings, our pride, our resentment, our anger, or whatever negative passion we identify in our life and living. What David said is, oh Lord, give me a new heart. I need a new heart. I need a new passion. I've been the one in the wrong. You know, I want to ask us a question this morning because I know we are people that sometimes are skeptical. Do we really believe that it's possible to have a new heart? I mean, we're people who underscore the importance of conversion or, or life change. Do we really believe that such change can happen or do we buy into that uh, worldly concept that you can't change the spots of a leopard? Is it even possible to reprogram our passions? Is it even possible to get rid of the, the negative, hurtful feelings that we've talked about? In other words, is change, is conversion really possible? If we don't believe that, then I don't know how much of the gospel we can actually embrace. Today we're addressing being changed from a laziness or a sloth or a, a negating of the importance of a relationship with God to a true passion of God. A few years ago, the Upper Room that does the little devotional guide, um, they came out with a, a, a program that was around a wooden nickel of sorts that they had created and on it it said simply around to it. It was around to it. Have you ever seen a to it? Well, this one was around to it. And, and they, they talked about in this devotional how deadly it is to our spiritual lives if we, uh, if we don't do things we know we should do until we get around to it. So they just gave us one so that we didn't have that excuse anymore. Uh, we need to pray, but we need to get around to it. We need to study scriptures but we need to get around to it. We need to do good deeds of, of goodness and mercy, but we need to get around to it. We ought to perform acts of kindness, but we have to have that round to it. 
You see, spiritual laziness says, never do today what you can put off till tomorrow. Uh, Never start something that has the risk of failure. Uh, Let someone else, and just name the someone else, let them do it. Just don't get involved in it. It can only lead to more work for you. Spiritual laziness looks a whole lot like not caring, disconnected. And David's laziness uh, with his relationship with God had caused him to do things that he would never have thought to be right and in keeping with God's ways and God's values. He, he, He got to the point that he saw himself not only as the king of the people, but the king of his own life and in need of no other higher authority. And and therefore, it led him to do with his subjects whatever he wanted to do. He could rape. He could objectify women. He could lie. That was his lifestyle um, that was featured in his cover-up. Or he could murder. Um, That was a convenient way to cover his tracks. When he became convicted of his own ways, he totally owns his sin. He reaches that point that he accepts the fact that he's been lazy in his relationship with God, that he's gotten so out of touch and out of tune with the ways of God that he knows he needs to change. And he knows he can't change himself without God. One of the most powerful chapters in the Bible that underscores that we can't fix ourselves is this very chapter, the 51st Psalm. David says, it's your steadfast ways, O Lord, that I need. It's your mercy, Lord, that I'm calling on. It's your graciousness that I know you act out of. So David says something interesting. He says, Lord, against you and you alone, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, Wednesday morning, our men's Bible study, we looked at this passage, and there were several of us in the group that really didn't like this, felt like that David was passing the buck. He said, God, against you alone have I sinned. And we wanted to say, well, what about Bathsheba? And what, what, what about Uriah? What about David's own people? Surely he sinned against all of them. And yet David says, Lord, you alone have I sinned against what I think we need to understand here is that that David recognizes that the only way to heal his broken heart the only way for him to receive forgiveness is for him to acknowledge that that all relationships stem from that primary relationship and having that relationship right and that is his relationship with God The good news for David is that he puts his whole trust in God to make things right, to give him a new heart, to put a right spirit with him. He's not looking for help in any other place but in his relationship with God. He wants that new passion. He wants that holy obsession that will make things right again for him. He wants to be the symbol to his own nation 
of what it means to have God first in his life. And that's what he is praying about. You know, there's another definition for passion. It comes from the Latin word, and it means to suffer with. And, and, and this is the, the form of passion that we talk about during Lent when we talk about the cross of our Lord. When we talk about Jesus laying down his life for us. When we talk about the, the work of, of, um, of, of the passion of Christ that saves us and makes us whole. Our God who would do anything for us including lay down his life for us. It's this kind of model that we have in Christ. Where Christ says to you and to me, pick up your cross. Don't be lazy. Pick up your cross and follow me. You know, this past week in getting ready for this sermon, I thought about the blessing of knowing people in my ministry who have been exemplary of that life change, that conversion, that shifting of passions, if you will. And I thought of so many people, and such a blessing it was to think in terms of how I witnessed their life change. But one of the chief examples that came to my mind was a, a man that I met through the prison ministry over 20 years ago. His, his name was Ricky. I met him on the pallet unit. And, and when I met him, I, I heard his story. Now, I also know that there's a, a criticism about, well, you know what they say about inmates in prison and these uh, kinds of conversions that they go through. They're, they're not worth much. But I want to tell you that we track the men and the women who we have been in ministry with through the Alpha program. And the recidivism rate is so very low, it is amazing. And in knowing some of these persons, as those who've been in the prison ministry know, you know that is a fact. You know that that heart change for many of them is real. And such it was with Ricky. Ricky had been a two-time offender. He'd been in and out and in. He'd been in for robbery and drug use. And he grew up in South Dallas in a single-parent household. He told me he never knew his dad, never. And yet, what Ricky told me once, um, in, in a testimony actually, really did make a difference to me. I remembered it this past week. He said, when the Holy Ghost got hold of me, I began to see a man that I really didn't know or like. I'd become so lazy in my attendance in church and with my relationship with God. I immersed myself in God's word. I put my hand to the plow and have never looked back. And after reading Jesus' words in Luke 9, 62, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I felt God calling me. I knew that I could never go back to being the man I had been before. Ricky is my age. I think I resonated with him because we were of the same age. And yet he went to prison when he was 19 years old. When I met him, he had been in prison longer 
than he'd been out of prison. And yet when he did get out, he came right here to this church. And, and this church embraced him just as we had when he was on the inside. And Rusty George and others made a way for him to work here at this church because we'd known him for so long. And he was a great employee until he got a better job and, and was off and a productive citizen and more importantly, continued his walk with his living Lord. You know, it's, it's remembrances like that for this pastor of seeing how God has worked in the life of one who just said, I don't even recognize myself anymore. I want to change. I want to be new. I want to be different. I want a clean heart, oh God. And only you can give it to me. And I don't know where you are today. I, I know that this sermon series is coming to an end. And I know that we've all for several weeks been praying that the Holy Spirit will continue to work uh, these negative passions and emotions out of us and restore a new and right spirit within us. I want to share a song with us in closing that I hope that... Um, that you can use as a prayer for you as I'll sing it as a prayer. But I hope that all of us are praying that God will move us from that way of laziness to that true heart of passion for him and his ways. And let that passion and God's ways move us to do things that, that we don't shirk responsibility or don't think someone else can do it. Or, or, or don't say, well, it's just too risky. But we realize that the God who calls us into such a relationship never lets us down. One pure and holy passion Give me one magnificent obsession Give me one glorious ambition For my life To know and follow hard after you To know and follow hard after you Grow as your disciple in your truth. The world is empty, pale, and poor. Contrary to knowing you, my Lord, lead me on and I'll run after you. Lead me on and I'll run after you. Give me one pure and simple passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life. To know and follow hard after you. To know and follow hard after you. To grow as your disciple in the truth. 
world is empty, pale, and poor compared to knowing you, my Lord. Lead me home and I'll run after you. Lead me home and I'll run after you. Lord, here we are. And we want to be more faithful. And we know that you are the one who can heal us. You are the one who can make us whole. Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow hard after you. To know and follow hard after you. To grow as your disciple in your truth. The world is empty, pale, and poor compared to knowing you, my Lord. Lead me on and I'll run after you. Lead me on and I'll run after you. Lead me on and I'll run after you.